All right, so Jonah chapter 2, um, our, our message today is called Thankfulness as a Reflection. And you'll understand what that, that title means here in just a moment. Um, but we all make decisions about things. Um, and one of the things that I have to teach in third grade is I have to teach economics. Um, not like in-depth macroeconomics, microeconomics. We talk about supply and demand, needs versus wants, all of those things. Um, and I tell my students that every time they have to decide something, they're making an economic decision, and that for every choice they make, there's an opportunity cost. An opportunity cost, and I'm about to, there's this weird Canadian song that goes along with that, but um, I'll explain later. Um, an opportunity cost is the next best thing that you have to give up when you make a decision. So if you have to choose between Jelly Bellies and Red Vines, that was a conversation I had with my students this week. If you choose the Red Vines, the Jelly Bellies, she's doing the dance back there. Um, the Jelly Belly, if you choose the Jelly Bellies over the Red Vines, the Red Vines are your opportunity cost. Um, and then there's also something called a value judgment. And when we make, we make certain decisions based on the value of the outcome. Okay, like sometimes you'll, you'll decide, okay, uh, I'm, I'm hungry, I want chips, but the effort to get up off of the couch and go get chips, it, it, it's not worth the effort to get off of the couch. So then you end up giving up the chips. Y'all, some of y'all are smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like it's a two foot walk to the kitchen, but you're like, nah, I'm comfortable. I, I'm, I'll go without the chips. Now, an example, an example of a, a value judgment would be we put judgment on our children's education. We make a value judgment based on, on the education. And so the value we place on their education determines a lot of things. It will determine the neighborhood that we move to. All right? It will determine the extracurricular activities that we, we have them participate in. We make value judgments on how much time we're going to spend interacting with our, teacher, our, our child's teacher. Right? All of those are a value judgment. As Christians, we also put value judgments on our church. We demonstrate how much the church, church and our church family means to us by the amount of time that we spend with each other, by how much time we spend praying for each other, and, and I read this in a book, by how quickly the church building empties after the service is over. Right? We, we can tell how loving a church is by how quickly people are splitting out the door trying to beat the Methodist over to California tortilla. I love picking on the Methodist, in case you can't tell. Um, and we show the world how important the church is to us by how often we invite people to come with us. If something is important to us, we're going to talk about it. We're going to invite people to participate and want to be in it. We also put a judgment, a value judgment on our salvation. We show the world how important the gospel message is to us by how much time we spend sharing the gospel and how much time we spend talking about the gospel. And throughout the week, we make value judgments about our relationship with Christ based on how we respond to, our, to the situations and the things that come in contact with us. Like we heard this morning, uh, Jimmy talking about getting pulled over for, uh, because Tiffany didn't renew her license tags. Right? I'm going to put the blame squarely where it belongs. Tiffany should have dealt, dealt with that. I know you're listening. All right. <laughs> Turn the speaker up. All right. Right? We put value judgments on those things. Now, as we continue in Jonah, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jonah put a value judgment on his relationship with God based on how he responds to being inside of a fish. Okay, And I think that all of us right now are making a value judgment on what it would be like for us 
to be inside of a fish. So if you have your Bible, grab it. We're going to read Jonah. It's, it's 10 verses. I'm going to read all 10 of them. Um, it, it shouldn't take us very long. And then we're going to die. I'm going to use that terrible joke again. We're going to dive into this and take a look. Here we go. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the sea, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gate shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. On those happy notes, let's pray. <laughs> Father, I ask that you would... Uh, I ask that you would be with us as we uh, take a look at, at Jonah's prayer, at, at Jonah's, basically Jonah's song of thanksgiving um, that, that he gave while he was still inside of, inside of the fish that you sent. And Lord, I pray that, um, that we would use this prayer as a reflection of our own lives and that um, areas that need to change and things that we need to deal with that we would take care of. And, and we ask that we would be different people as a result of being here this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so when we last saw Jonah, the, the last thing we saw at the end of chapter one, Jonah was on his way to a watery death. Uh, if you remember, Jonah had been commanded by God to go to Nineveh and to preach a message of repentance. And Jonah heard that, and in his arrogance and in his pride and in his thinking, he knew better than God. He looked at God and said, psych. And he'd split out. And he, instead of going to Nineveh this way, actually, I think it was this way. There we go. He started going toward Tarshish, which is even farther away. Now, of course, the God of the universe doesn't take rebellion lightly. And, but in his love for both Jonah and the city of Nineveh, God pursued Jonah. Right? God loved Jonah. He wasn't going to let him get away. But God also loved the city of Nineveh, even though it was a wicked, terrible place. God still loved him. So he went after Jonah. Even though Jonah was headed on a ship to Tarshish, in a final act of desperation to get away from God, Jonah told the sailors of the ship, listen, this is how we're going to deal with this. All right? There's a storm going on. Y'all have been praying. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to pick me up, and you're going to throw me into the water. And, and sometimes we treat Jonah as if he's a martyr, but the reality is Jonah just didn't want to go to Nineveh, and he was willing to, to give up his own life just so he didn't have to go to Nineveh. He was willing to do that. All, and, but here's the thing. All of Jonah's bluster and all of Jonah's strutting around like, yeah, I'm going to show God, all of that lasted until those men picked him up and tossed him overboard. And as soon as he realized... Ooh, this is not going the way that I thought it was going to go. And that first wave of water smacked him in the face. Suddenly, Jonah had a change of heart. 
He realized that, that this was not going to go the way he wanted it to go. A, a, an example of this, I don't like roller coasters. I hate roller coasters. But when Tina and I, actually before Tina and I started dating, we, uh, a group of us went down to uh, King's Dominion. And I don't know if you've ever been to King's Dominion. They have this ride called, um, I don't The Outer Limits. Well, that's what, I can't remember the exact name. It's a roller coaster that takes place inside a warehouse in the dark. So they have strobe lights everywhere, right? And I'm like, I was, I was talking this big game. I'm like, yeah, I can handle this, whatever. This is, this is no big deal. And I was, I was all like, yeah, I was all man, you know, acting, acting all tough on it until that, uh, that, that safety harness came down. And suddenly I wasn't feeling so manly anymore. And then you hear the person come on the, the speaker and they're like, you're ready. Here we go. And it, it, it just goes, it goes from zero to like a billion in, in like half a second. And your face is like, all right, I've just lost my microphone. Um, that's what you get for doing special effects with your face there. Um, right. And so it, while all this is going on, Tina's like, yeah, this is fun. This is great. I'm over there. I got tears running out. I'm grabbing her hand, trying to, trying to, trying to man up. Right. That's, that's the kind of the, yeah, I, I just admitted I'm scared of roller coasters and I was crying. Um, <laughs> But that's what was happening with Jonah. He was all brave and acting like, I'm going to get away from God, until he was thrown into the water. And at which point he said, maybe this isn't what I thought I wanted to go to after all. Going to Nineveh might not be so bad after all. An overwhelming sense of helplessness hit Jonah, and he did the only thing that he could do at that moment. He cried out to God. In the midst of his helplessness, in the midst of everything that was going on, there was no way he was going to get to land. There was no way the guys on the boat were going to pull him back up. They're like, dude, we saw what happened the last time you were on this boat. We're not coming to get you. The only thing he could do was cry out to God. And here's the amazing thing. God heard him. God heard his cries. And salvation came in the form of a fish. Sometimes salvation doesn't look the way we think it's going to. But God hears us. It is very likely that Jonah had no idea at first that he had been rescued. As we look at, as we saw in his prayer, he actually thinks that he has died and gone to hell, right? He's looking around and you've got to imagine being inside of a fish. J.D. Greer says that it, it smelled like an outhouse at the state fair. I've never been inside of a fish. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Uh, I'm going to see him in a couple weeks. I'll ask him if he's done it. Um, but... I can't imagine that it was like that scene from Pinocchio. Y'all know what I'm talking about when they're in Monstro's belly and Geppetto's still fishing. Like, you're in the belly of a whale. Why are you still fishing, right? Um, but once he regained his sense, what was Jonah's response? Once he realized where he was and that he was, in fact, saved, what was his response? He began to pray. From inside the fish, Jonah began to pray, but it wasn't a prayer of God, rescue me. It was a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah was thankful that he was inside the belly of the fish. And the first thing that Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving did was, was help him and help us to see the depths of our sin. Throughout all of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah was running from God. He was, refusing to, he was refusing to speak to God. You'll notice that even when he was talking to the pagans and they were telling him, you, get, you need to pray to your God, he never prayed. He just told them, look, the God, the God who's doing this, it, God is Jehovah. But he was never actually talking to God. He was simply talking about God. 
And, and, and why was this? Because Jonah thought he could handle this on his own. He thought he could handle getting away from God. And that if he, he hid out long enough, God was going to forget about him having to go to Nineveh. He was relying on himself to get out of the mess that he made. It was his pride and arrogance that kept him from turning to God. And then he hit the bottom, literally. Like, I mean, as you read in his prayer, he's, he's wrapped up in seaweed. He's hit the bottom of the ocean. I mean, he's down there. Everything is going wrong. And as we can see in his prayer, Jonah, like I said, Jonah actually thought he was in Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for hell. Jonah felt like he had been abandoned by God. And it was in the midst of all of this that Jonah realized that he couldn't do anything without God. He's, he, all, of, all of his bluster, all of his arrogance, all of his pride, the moment he hit that water and went underneath and he realized, oh, this is the end for me, it hit him. He remembered what he had been before he had said no. And he said, I can't do anything without God being there. Jonah came face to face with the fact that he was a sinful man and he did the only thing that he could do. He turned to God. He began to cry out to God. He tells us here in Jonah 2.2, it says, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. Jonah knew that his only source of help was from God. Uh, Psalm 41 verses one through three. Uh, I haven't said this in a while. I'm gonna say it. Some of my favorite verses, all right? It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. What was God's response to Jonah crying out? God heard him and God rescued him. There was no depth that Jonah could go to that would keep God from rescuing him. In God's love for us, there are times when he will allow us to reach the end of our rope. I think sometimes, I think we've all been there. If you listen to, um, if you listen to, to testimonies, and, and I used to, this used to bother me quite a bit because I became a Christian, I became a believer when I was five years old in kindergarten. It's very difficult to have lived a godless, wicked life when you're five years old. All right, now I did get sent to the principal's office quite a bit, so maybe, maybe that was my, uh, my turning point. But I would, uh, the, our, the church we would go to would bring in these, uh, these guest speakers and they would share these testimonies of how they had murdered like four dudes and they had been in a gang and, and, and all of these things. And then suddenly God came and rescued them out of that life and now they're an evangelist traveling around telling their story. And I used to feel bad about the fact that I got saved, I became a Christian when I was five. I don't have that kind of story to tell. I don't have a remarkable, I used to be in a gang and now I'm a Christian kind of story. But I realized that that's actually God's grace. I didn't have to go through all of the, all of the, the, the stuff that some of these guys went through before God saved me. God kept me from that by saving me at a young age. And I think that story can probably be repeated by a number of us in here. But for others of us, God lets us get to the end of our ropes. God lets us hit rock bottom 
Because it's when we reach the end of our rope and when, when we're when in the midst of the ocean and there's no place else to turn, it's in those moments that we say, God, I need you. Your self-reliance is done at that point. Right? I, I, I've shared this with you all before. I struggle with self-reliance. Trying to pastor a church is something that I've never done it before. I didn't go to school to learn how to do this. And there are times where I try to lead this church and I try to do things in my own power. And you know what God does sometimes? He goes, fine, you want to do it in your own power? Go ahead. And you know what happens? It hurts. It doesn't feel good. And it's in those moments that God says, now, let me help you. It's in those moments that we turn to, excuse me, we turn to God and God says, all right, now let me help you. Let me show you how this is supposed to go. God, in the moments where we hit the bottom, God will send salvation. If you are one of his children, God will send salvation. He will rescue us from that pit. Know that there is nothing that's going to keep God from rescuing you. There is nothing that's going to stand between God and, and between God saving you and keeping you from that. There is no sin that is too great that he won't forgive it. There is, no, there is nothing that you can do that will keep God from forgiving that sin. In fact, God sacrificed his own son so that we could have forgiveness. John 3.16 the, the penultimate verse in the entire Bible. If you say you, this, this isn't your favorite verse, well, I don't know what you're talking about. John 3.16 says, for God, so loved the, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So thankfulness helps us see the depths of our sin. The second thing that we see here is that thankfulness helps us live sacrificial lives. I'm going to read Jonah chapter, uh, chapter 2, 8 and 9. It says this, Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill, excuse me, what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In his desperation, Jonah also began to understand that in order to please God, there were sacrifices that he needed to make. There were things in his life that he needed to give up. Um, they, they, he needed to get rid of them in order to fully worship God. For Jonah, it was his overzealous sense of nationalism. Jonah loved being from Israel. He thought Israel was the greatest thing that there possibly was. So when God said, here's what I need you to do, I need you to go to Nineveh, and I need you to tell these people that judgment is coming, and they need to repent, or else they're going to be destroyed, Jonah in his head said, what you talking about, Willis? All right, what you I, I got to fold my arms, and what you talking about, Willis? There we go. Did you get that on video? All right, awesome. This is going to be great. Um, we saw last week how awful Nineveh was and the brutality that they inflicted on their victims. And a lot of the times, these victims included people from Israel. So when God said to Jonah, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to preach to them. I need you to, to, to tell them it is time for them to repent. Jonah, in his mind, immediately resorted to, or defaulted to us for and no more. 
And, and, and what I mean by that is Jonah realized, and we're going to see this when we get to uh, Jonah chapter 4. Jonah knew that if he went to the, to the people of Nineveh and said, God said judgment is coming, you need to repent. He knew that they were going to repent. But as a Jew, Jonah also knew that he was one of God's chosen people. That, that he, was, he was one of, of the people that God had chosen for salvation. That they were special. And so he realized that if he went and preached repentance to the Ninevites, that some of them were going to repent, and some of them were going to become Jews. And he said, wait a second, I can't have that. I can't have you people coming and being a part of our group. I'm not going to do it because we're comfortable here. We have exactly the people that we want to have. We don't need anybody else in our group. And so Jonah's response was, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go out and tell them to repent because I don't want anybody else in my club. I don't want anybody else to join us. And the re uh, uh, sorry, Jonah made being a Jew and his safety and security, he made them his idol. It was something that he was worshiping. The fact that he was a chosen child of God was or was one of God's chosen people. He made that into his idol. But the reality is, Jonah wasn't the only one who makes idols. Idolatry is rampant in our society today. Now, maybe we don't have idols. We don't have statues that we, that we offer fruit and, and money to, like some cultures do. Um, but each one of us sitting here today has idols in our lives that we need to tear down and destroy. Tim Keller, he's a, he was a, a pastor up in New York. He, I believe he's since retired. Um, he wrote this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Jonah made being, an, being uh, from Israel his idol. These idols keep us from fully loving God. God knew that our hearts were idol factories. We can take anything and turn it into an idol. We can take food and turn it into an idol. We can take our spouses and turn them into an idol. And one that I think the majority of us in this room are guilty of, we can take our children and turn them into idols. Because an idol is, keep, is something that keeps us from fully loving God. Having a perfect body, getting the best job promotion, or having an academically perfect child is something that can become an idol. And we've all seen those people who spend all of their time trying to, they're in the gym constantly, right? Try, trying to look like, uh, I don't know who they were trying to look like, because clearly I'm trying to look like a hot dog here, but um, I, I stole that from Eric back there, by the way. Um, <laughs> but if we're not careful, you know, all of these things can happen. And if we're not careful, we can make our church an idol. We can, make, we can make the church that we attend an idol. We can make the past an idol. When we're constantly looking back and going, well, do you remember how it was this way? And do, do you remember how things used to be this way? And when something changes, we go, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not how we do it. That's not the way it, it should be. But here's the, the flip side to that. We can make the future an idol. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to be straight up honest. This is in my notes, but I'm going to repent. I have made, and, I, and I, was, I, was, I was in tears as I was writing this yesterday. I have made 
Grace Baptist Church five years from now an idol? What I would like to see Grace Baptist Church become in two years and five years and 10 years, I have made that an idol because I think that what will fulfill me, what will make me a better pastor and a better Christian, will bring me closer to God is what I think this church needs to be in five and 10 years. I've made that an idol and I had to repent of it yesterday. Right? It was heartbreaking when I came to that realization. Some of you in here have made the past an idol. We want this church to always look like it did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Some of us have made the future an idol. What we have to focus on is we have to focus on the fact that God put us here right now. We, we, we can't focus on what we're going to do for Christ in the future, two, three, four, five years from now. We can't focus on what we did for Christ 30 years ago when, we, when everything was this way. We have to focus on the fact that God put us here for this time right now. And there are 55,000 people in Jefferson County who do not have a church home. That is what we have to focus on. Sacrificing, though, should not be a drudgery. If we want to truly worship God, we have to tear down these idols. But it shouldn't be a drudgery. It shouldn't be something, oh, I have to do this because God told me to. Like my kids, when I tell them to clean up their room and I get this response, right? That, that, that's my life. That's what, that's what we do. See, it's happening right now, all right? Sorry, Sean, you just became that kid who uh, the pastor uses as a sermon example. But sacrificing, tearing down and destroying these idols, it's actually an act of worship. In Jonah's day, they would worship animals in the temple. Now, we're not going to go out back and sacrifice a lamb. Although, that does sound good. Oh, they're closed today. All right? Um, we no longer have to take animals to the, to the temple. But instead, what we're called to offer is we're called to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. We're also called to sacrifice our preferences and the way that we think things should be in order to reach others. Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, considers, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look, not only, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In the belly of the fish, Jonah likely made many vows. Right? Have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation and you start crying out, Lord, if you do this, I'll do this. And Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do this. You, you have to imagine that Jonah was probably down there going, Lord, if you get me out of this, you get me out of this fish, I don't want to be a fish stick. If you get me out of this, I will go to Nineveh. I promise you, I will go to Nineveh. It's got to be better than being in this thing. But this was more than just empty words for Jonah. Sometimes we make those vows, and as soon as we're clear, we're like, I'm good, Lord, thanks. You're right? Jonah was planning to fulfill his vows. He laid aside his own preferences in order to reach the people that God had called him to. Are we willing to do the same thing? With what things in your life do you need to sacrifice in order to fulfill the mission that God has given to you? Is there a job that's keeping you from, full, from fully pursuing Christ? 
Is there is 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 the the hours that you work? Is there a relationship that you're involved in? It could be a friend a friend relationship. It could be a romantic relationship. Is that keeping you from fully pursuing Jesus? Is there anger that you need to lay down? Is there a secret sin that you need to forsake? Are, are, are there these things that you've turned into idols that we need to tear down in order to fully pursue God? How, what about us as a church? I asked this last week, but I'm gonna ask it again. How far are we as a church willing to go to reach the community that God has put us in? How far are we willing to take that? Are we willing to sacrifice the idol of tradition or the idol of nostalgia if that means we can reach more people with the gospel? All right, I asked last week, what does that look like? If, if God, if, if we grew and we, all of these church, all of these pews were full, would we be willing to have two services? If God said, listen, you're not reaching the people here in the community, but there's an opportunity for you to move somewhere to reach more people, would we be willing to do it? That's the question that's on the table here. Are we willing to lay aside our hopes for the future if God says, no, I don't want you to go that way? That's a question I have to ask myself all the time. There are things that I want to do, but I'm, I'm asking, I have to ask myself, what if God says no? What if God says no, you can't go this direction? It happens to Paul when we get to it in the book of Acts. Paul wanted to go a certain direction and God told him, no, you can't go that way. And he ended up having to go another way. What would have happened if Paul had pushed against that and wanted to keep going? What if God is directing us to go in a certain way? Are we willing to say yes to that? Or are we gonna be like Jonah in Jonah chapter one and say no? The last thing, thankfulness helps us to proclaim the gospel. I'm gonna read the last part of verse, 10, uh, verse nine. I did include verse 10 up there because I just wanna finish the chapter. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. The last part of Jonah's declaration, the final declaration in his prayer is salvation belongs to the Lord. Even though he was still in the fish, Jonah is praying this from inside of the fish. He has no idea if he's getting out or not. Jonah knew that God had saved him. He wasn't, like I said, he wasn't out of his circumstances, but he knew that God could and would save him from it. It was his declaration that led him to, to, that led him to fulfill the vow he made to go to Nineveh. Jonah was overcome by his salvation, was so overcome by his salvation that he willingly declared it. As believers, we, are, we were in the same spot as Jonah. Now, I don't think any of us have ever been tossed over, over the side of a ship and been swallowed by a whale. All right, I don't know how many of us have actually ever been on a ship. Some of us might have been on a boat or a canoe, but hopefully the fish in that whatever body of water you were in were not large enough to swallow you. That, that's kind of creepy, but just wait till Rockwell gets here, then we'll... <laughs> All right. We may not have been inside of a fish. I'm going to hear about that later. But we, we were lost without the possibility of saving ourselves. It was through the mercy of God that we were saved that we were given the opportunity to trust Christ for salvation. It was not based on our good works or anything about us. It was completely the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for you were saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. When we understand the depths of our sin and the fact that there was nothing that we on our own could do about that to save ourselves, the only response should be to joyfully proclaim that salvation comes from God. 
We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. When we, when, we, when we fully embrace the fact that our salvation comes from God, it comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, there are no, there's no amount of works that we can do. There, our only response, the joy that flows from our heart should be for us to tell people salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation belongs to God. Our thankfulness for what God has done for us through Christ Jesus will lead us to declaring the gospel to others. And here's the thing, when we're, when we're overwhelmed with this joy, when we're declaring it, we are not gonna be satisfied with the fact that there are, uh, I said 55,000, that's how many people call Jefferson County home. There are over 30,000 that don't have a church home of any kind. When we are overwhelmed with the joy of the gospel, we're not gonna be satisfied with that fact. We're not, going to be, we're not going to be okay with the fact that the majority of the people that we come in contact with at Walmart, if we're at Dollar General trying to buy Jelly Belly Belly Flops, those are good, by the way. Just throwing it out there. If you want to put some on my desk, I appreciate it. One dollar. All right? Or if, when we go to Great Wall. I was at Great Wall last night. All right? Yeah. We're not going to be satisfied with the fact that the majority of the people that we come in contact with don't have a church home and, as a result, are likely on their way to eternal separation from God. We're not gonna be satisfied with that. Our thankfulness for our salvation should drive us to love each other and love our neighborhoods enough to move us to action. Psalm 39 verse seven says this, now Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And Psalm 40 verses nine through 10, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. How we respond in, the darkest, in our darkest times often shows who we truly are. When, 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 the, when, when it really hits the fan, when, when, when things are, are really getting hot and the pressure is on, how we respond will demonstrate who we are. Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 45, uh, Eric read this at the beginning. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. At his most desperate moments, Jonah responded with a prayer of thanksgiving. Th when, when things were going bad for him, what was his response? He could have cried out. He could have sat in the corner. Um, he could have done all of those things. Jonah instead gave thanks to God for saving him. His thankfulness showed the value that he placed on his salvation. It was also a turning point in Jonah's life up to that point. God showed mercy on him, and it was this course of events that led him to understand why God would send him to Nineveh in the first place. Jonah got a glimpse of who he was. And it made him, it helped him to understand, God loved me. Of course, God is going to love these people over here. God chased me down when I was far from him. These people, that's how they live. The Ninevites, that's, that's all they do is run from God. I understand why God would send me to go and get them. If you are here and you are a believer, your heart should be overflowing with love and gratitude for the Savior. We should never get over the fact that our sins are forgiven, and that we have been saved from eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We talked about that again. We got to stop doing that, man. We're always in sync like that. 
Well, actually, I, I guess it's a good thing, right? It shows that we're on the same page. We talked about it in Sunday school today. How do we keep that? We have to constantly be thankful and reminding ourselves that if it were not for Jesus, we would be on our way to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Our gratitude should be inseparable from our desire to declare to everyone that salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. Uh, Lord, I, 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 I think this chapter, even though it's, it's smack in the middle, sometimes it gets, it gets lost, it gets obscured in the story of, of Jonah. We, we know the story of Jonah getting swallowed. We know the story of Jonah then going to Nineveh and doing what he was told to do. And we know the story of Joey, or Joah. We know the story of Jonah, too many J names, uh, sitting on the mountain and pouting because that God did what he told him he was going to do. But Lord, sometimes we forget the fact that, that Jonah gave this prayer of thanksgiving. And Lord, I, I, I entitled this message, Thankfulness as a Reflection. And so, Lord, I hope that we can take a look at this and we can reflect on the, on the prayer that Jonah gave. And Lord, uh, the thing that, that stuck with me the most is, is the fact that there are idols in my life. And you knew that that was going to be a problem so much so that you made one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so, Father, I ask that you would, you would, look at my, you would help me to reflect on my own heart, that you, you would help the, the folks that are here this morning to reflect on their hearts and find the things that we have turned into idols, whether it's our children, whether it's, it's, it's our, our, our spouses, whether it's, it's a job, or, or maybe it's something like we've, we, we've turned the past, we've turned nostalgia into an idol, or in my cases, I've made the future into an idol. Lord, that we would tear those down and that with your help, with your grace, we would be able to fully love you. That while those things are good and you have given them to us as gifts, that we would, we would uh, trust you and look to you to, to keep from turning them into the ultimate thing, to keep from taking good things and turning them into the ultimate thing. Lord, help us to look to you and to always be thankful for the gospel that you have given to us, for the gospel uh, through the, the work of your son who died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And three days later, he came back to life. So we have a hope in the resurrection. And right now he is sitting at the right hand of your throne, uh, preparing to come back and take us so that we can um, live in, in an eternal kingdom with him. Father, help us to rest in that so that we can keep our eyes and always be thankful. And Lord, help us to not be satisfied with the fact that there are over 30,000 people in this county who do not have a church home, who, who in all likelihood do not have a relationship with you. And let our thankfulness be, be the fuel that drives us to go out and share the message that salvation belongs to the Lord. Father, whatever burdens need to be laid down this morning, whatever sins need to be confessed, whatever grudges need to be, be forgiven, Whatever things need to be taken care of, Lord, I pray that right now as we prepare to sing that you would use this time, that the Holy Spirit would work, and that today would be the, be the start of something brand new in somebody's life, Lord. We ask all this in your beautiful name. Amen.